Well, howdy, howdy, ho, curious minds. This is Chantil, and we are really excited to invite you back for episode five, Embodiment, Teaching, and Leading. And we've really intentionally spent the last four episodes helping you to just get a sense of who we are, what we're about, and in this episode, we go a little bit deeper into our path to changing the world. And I'm really excited to share with you all the juicy stuff in this episode where we talk about the work that Ann and I are doing and the different entry points in terms of like thinking of it as a spectrum of not only serving and supporting those of you who are already in the movement and embodiment health and wellness fields and who struggle to integrate all the parts of yourself into building a business. And then those of you who are leaders and builders and creators and entrepreneurs who sense, feel, have a little bit of a tingling and inkling, like somebody sprinkled fairy dust, dust over your head, that there is more to the work that you're doing than you've been doing. A wholeness, a fullness, an integrated everythingness. And so we really talk about all of that in episode five. We're excited to share with you um, some tips, some tidbits, and some really neat things that are going to hopefully inspire you to continue to not only listen, but take action for yourself toward building an embodied business and an inspired brain and an embodied and inspired life. So as always, without further ado, here we go. Hello, everybody. It's St. Patrick's Day. I'm not wearing a single thing of green. I also realized I sent my daughter to school without a single item of green on. She's been wearing green every day since Saturday, <laughs> but, but apparently not today. So here we are. It's episode five. Um, we are talking today about embodiment, teaching, and leadership. And we're going to talk about, we really want to, so next week or next episode, episode six, we'll have our first guest um, interview, which we're really excited about. And in these first five episodes, our intention is to build a foundation for you to know us better and to get a gist of what we do and who we are and what we're committed to um, and hopefully get really curious and interested and, and even inspired. And today we want to lay out for you a with a little bit more clarity the path that Anne and I are on to change the world. <laughs> does, that seem, does that seem too loaded? <laughs> Um, and share with you really what it is that we do and what it is that we um, aspire to do with our work and the experience that we've both had over the last two plus decades. And so today we're going to be looking at bringing embodiment into leadership and, and how that works and, and some ways to do that, but also coming at it from a different perspective from embodiment and for the teachers out there who are teaching movement or any embodied practice, you know, there's, there's this like entry point from both directions, right. Um, in terms of what Anne and I do, and we want to share a little bit of that with you, but first 
real life riff, our little, our check-in. Um, why don't you start today, Anne? What's, what's up with you? What are you, what are you working on? Yeah. So, um, right now in, um, one of my business, the studio business, I made doing a couple of things. I am hiring a new manager. This is the first time I've really gone through a transition process um, and had a transition plan. So it's been good, but anytime you do something new, right, lots of things come up. Um, The other big new thing I did is I did a big pivot. I um, came up with a really great plan about what I wanted to do um, to connect uh, with, with some of my students at the studio. And then I realized that it really wasn't in alignment with what was going to draw in new leads to the studio. And so I really pivoted um, to then making it more of a beginner, a, a, a beginner focused versus like a higher level focused program for students who are already there because the goal really is to fill seats in my studio. And so that was hard because once I get the wheel, like I had to, like, I had to like stop the train. I had to, contact my copywriter, I had to move a date, I had to cancel stuff. And that felt uncomfortable. But it in the past, I wouldn't have tolerated that feeling of uncomfortableness. And I would have gone mm. forward and done what I had first thought. Because in my mind, it was actually a little more interesting. Because sometimes, you know, it's not as interesting to go back to the very, to the very beginner, but that's where the entry point is. And that's where you're going to get new students. Right. And so at first I felt a lot of friction. I'm like, Oh, let's change a date. I'm like wasting time and money on a copywriter for all of this, you know, to push this out. Um, this isn't right. But I said, you know what, actually I could keep going and I've done this numerous times and it's just, I'm not going to get the results I want. So I've now, pivoted um the date set for april 9th and i'm excited i'm i'm really excited because i actually love connecting with new people but it's mm-hmm. like i forgot or i wanted to do this sexier thing that was for more advanced but that wasn't really going to support me in bringing new students in so so i had to work through some some bodily feelings <laughs> through that yeah um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm so curious about that because we talk a lot in our work with our teachers and the educators that, you know, business owners we're working with about failing fast. Like there in one hand, there's the willingness to acknowledge and articulate. It's not willingness always um, the ability to acknowledge and then the willingness to shift and let go of something that is not in alignment, that doesn't feel good, that even though maybe you want to do it intellectually, as you're saying, it's more interesting, it's a bit sexier, what you know is it's not actually in alignment with your goal, right? And so how do you, that's failing fast. You just decided like, this is not actually what I want to, like what I want to do because it's not going to get me where I said I want to go. So failing fast is such a beautiful tool and I think comes more easily when we are in touch with our body experience, right, of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to acknowledge, like, I was working with um, a mentor, and they called me out on it, and I was like, oh, nice, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> so for me, it's always supportive to have like that, to have someone else's eyes, especially if you've been in what you've been doing for a long time. Mm-hmm. It is very easy. Like the, the entrenched way of me operating in this business, which will be 20 years, <laughs> it's entrenched. <laughs> so yeah. it felt really good to say, kind of like F it. <laughs> I'm just going to get it because I've done my other thing for a long time and, and I haven't always gotten the results that I've wanted. Mm. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited about this. Yeah. Awesome. I'm always kind of titillated and curious by what you're up to in your studio business because it's <laughs> it's interesting how our work together, you know, kind of seeps through the cracks and informs what you're doing over there. It hugely the impacts. Work. Yeah, it hugely impacts. So I love it. Yeah, that's so great. Um, I think the thing that I would share is uh, I've been really working on how, like what it is that I want to feel in my work and in my life, I'm, I'm just at the tail end of, which <laughs> I imagine that the tail end is going to be a good 12 to 24 months of experiencing. Maybe <laughs> it's not like tail end, it's ending tomorrow, but of this big personal transition. And, and then in our work, I feel like we're always, we're in such deep creation and building mode right now that I, I'm like, well, what do I want it all to feel like? You know, what, what do I want really? Like I have so much of what I actually want tangibly, like in my, in my world and what I'm able to say yes to that is satisfying, but what do I want my work and my life to feel like? And there are a couple of things that I've been landing on. One is I just want it to be easy. Like I want it to feel peaceful, not so, you know, I like, Mm, not necessarily steady because I don't, I like ups and downs. Like I like spikes. I like change. I like variance in my life experience, but I want there to be a sense of ease. And I also know that, um, I, I I just like, I'm ready to have a bit more fun. (laughs) And that's the thing that I've really been focusing on every day is like, how do I, how do I engage with my work and, and our business together and then my life that just is more fun? And, and that's been really, that's different for me because I can be just kind of excruciatingly serious when it comes to getting things done. Um, and I can become like a bit of a stick in the mud, honestly. And so tapping into that experience of fun and joy and this sense of kind of looseness, like holding things lightly um, has been really fun for me and interesting because to like every day I have to, I, I ask myself that question and I, re, I have to reorient to my day and the actions I'm taking and say, well, well, how do I bring, how do I make this a little bit more fun? It's just been such a beautiful shift. And like now I'm planning trips for the kids and I for spring break, I'm planning trips for the summer, I'm planning trips for the fall. We're doing some really cool things. We're bringing back our live event in August. We're planning for a retreat, hopefully in December. Like those are the kinds of things that I really get excited about. So um, I think that's just what's in process and progress for me is how do I how do I take action every day 
that is a little bit more about fostering fun. Yeah. And I, I would echo, like, I feel a lot of times you say like, it just doesn't have to be so precious. Yeah. And that really resonates with me too, because I feel like, if, especially if like you're, you're working from your passion, which clearly that is something we both chose to step into. And I think many creators and creative people do, it's like, it, it can get really precious um, yes. because we deeply care about it. But it's yeah. important to, to say, yeah, I love that. I love it. Cause I feel like the fun is sort of, you know, like sort of a lot um, making us like reevaluate that preciousness of the work. Right. Yes. Um, and I think that the fun helps, helps us. And, and I love how you're saying how I want it to feel like, because mm-hmm. uh, is that a question that gets asked enough? when we are working, when we're developing with our work, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's so based on productivity or what am I going to create versus how do I want this to feel as I'm creating it? Um, And I'm I'm excited to dive into that more. (laughs) I know. And I mean, I just like, there's a parallel, right? I've been thinking about this a lot lately is in this, in this process of like, when you and I were talking about this yesterday, it's like we we deeply want our children to to do well. Like we want them to be educated and we want them to be, you know, kind and we want them to have success. And I think sometimes for me, I can get overly serious about like making sure, you know, it's all happening because what about the future? And you want to have choices and all the things. And and then I just have been stopping recently and like, I, but what about right now? Like, how do I, I, I want to be present and have fun with my kids right now. And actually on Monday that my son loves to climb and mm-hmm. we haven't been back to climbing since everything was shut down for COVID. And it's just been such a drudge to kind of re- invest in that both mentally and and physically and financially and we've come up with all kinds of excuses and on Monday I just called and I was like you know what's the new like do you have a recertifying class tonight and they did and we went and we had a blast and it was so great it's just like we just zipped over there I took the class he climbed you know it's like it's so fun to like it just so it really shifted. It like has really shifted things. Um, yeah, because I, I want my life to feel good right now, not just striving for what I want it to be like, you know, in the future for myself or for my children or whatever it might be. So that's what's in process and progress. Um <laughs> Let's dive into this embodiment teaching and leadership. And I'm going to hand it over to you because I think you have a a really good entry point into talking about this work. Um, Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about it. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I think that you were asking me earlier, which, which was so good. Your question was so pointed is you mentioned to me, well, how can, how have, with the leaders that we've worked with, how have we seen 
the embodiment piece play a part as they grow in their leadership abilities. And so this is something that we definitely want to share with, with you. So, cause I sometimes feel like if you're already in the embodiment practice, sometimes we feel, or in that within that industry, like, well, maybe I have to take that part. I have to put a different cap on. Now I'm taking my embodiment hat, putting my, my leadership cap on, or really we want to wear, we want to wear both hats. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are not just brains and test tubes talking to a bunch of other brains and test tubes sitting around a table. <laughs> we're, we're in our bodies, right? Um, and our bodies have feelings and they have smells, <laughs> they have taste, <laughs> like they have hunger, they have itches. Like our bodies are are real and they and and they're not always as um they can't be as edited, right? And they can't be as, um, you know, controlled maybe as much as what comes out of our mouth um, and how we're sort of <laughs> trying to say what's, you know, what's in our mind. And so it was really allowing me to think about well, what what have we seen? Um, and so I really wanted to share that. So first off, if you are a leader who is wanting to tap into the the intelligence of not only that it was, is within your body, but it was, it is within the body of your team or the bodies of your team and not just the brains. Right. So what we know is that our bodies pick up on senses and patterns more so than our brains can, like they can pick up broader patterns more quickly. And that's why you sometimes get like, like an embodied feeling about something like, and sometimes a lot of times it's like, you know, that just didn't feel good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or wow, actually that sounds really exciting, right? There's something that you're feeling in your body Mm -hmm. that is allowing you to express that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, for us to get, to have greater success and to have more outcomes in, including financial outcomes, because if we look back at the the study that was done within the, that was referenced within the book, The Extended Mind from our podcast number one, we know that people who are Wall Street traders who are more in tune with their heartbeats actually produce better financial results than traders who are less in tune with their heartbeats, right? And so that's a form of interoception. And so instead of like shutting down or instead of suffocating, like don't listen to your body, how can we empower ourselves and our team to lean into that? And I really want to preface this as if this is something new that hasn't been embraced or hasn't been spoken about, one of the biggest things you're going to see and want to plan for is failure, right? (laughs) You're going to ask people to, you know, maybe feel into their bodies and like, they're just not even going to like, if you haven't practiced it and it's new to you, it's going to be something that's going to be rough at first. And it's not going to be nuanced, but if you're a leader, one of the best ways to do it is for you to go first, right? So for you to start leading from a place of sharing about how maybe you used an embodied nudge or an intuitive idea or an intuitive hit or an intuitive download or you felt something like whatever language is authentic to you and your team and your culture, but starts to 
starts to bring you into that more of a place of embodiment where yes, you listen to your mind, but you know, I also had this feeling that was, that was that was a sensation that was coming up inside of me. Um, and, and sharing that, right. Whether that's in a private conversation, an email, whether it's in a team meeting, something where you're modeling the behavior of, you know, I listened to my body and, and then I, and then I made a decision and, oh my gosh, I failed fantastically. <laughs> and then maybe sharing a story about how you listen to your body and maybe it isn't even at work. Maybe it's like it's outside of work, right? But just trying to connect those stories to normalize that behavior of, again, we're not a bunch of brains sitting in test tubes and like, don't, and you know, our, our, our brains just aren't computers, right? Because computers don't fix themselves. They get updates, but they don't just fix themselves, right? So no, 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 they don't. don't. And yeah. it's such a problem. It's such a problem. Right, right. So, you know, our bodies do heal themselves, right? So, so our bodies do have this amazing in ability to read things, right? And and you're probably going to have some people within your team where this is going to feel like easy and like, oh, I got this. And other people who are like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Um, for me, as someone who teaches embodiment, I actually do not have, it's not easy for me to feel my heartbeat. Um, and so this is something that I have to practice and to work on. Um, whereas you talk to other people and they feel it, you know, with ease. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're going to want to know that there's going to be variability within your team about this and there's going to be failure. And so really putting that front and center is going to support people feeling safe enough to start to, to lean into that, um, and to work through that. And so, mm -hmm. Oh, I just want to, I just have so many, I knew this would happen. <laughs> you start yeah. talking and I, and, and all the, all the connections start to um, make sense. So I want to just pause us for a second because I want to say that what Anne is talking about is, is, is this end of the spectrum of our work where we're working with entrepreneurs and leaderships who want to bring more embodiment into, or more intuition or a different level of experience and skill into their, you know, their leadership or their educating or whatever it is they're facilitating. But if you are new to it, and even if you're not, because Anne is a perfect example, like, and she shared this um, a few episodes ago, where when she first started doing the nervous system work, she was like, whatever, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't feel it. I'm not really getting it. So it's about developing a different kind of awareness and developing the language to express the experience of the new of the, of the new perception in your body. And what I, I had this moment this morning in, in my kitchen, I was thinking about language and experience, right? And and I my mom was here last weekend and she opened a bottle of champagne and she practically like blew the window. <laughs> you know, it was like so rough. And I looked at her and I said, I said, you have no grace in opening a bottle of champagne, she got kind of upset with me. And I, and I was like, Oh, I, Oh, that's interesting. Cause I didn't mean it as a, I didn't mean it as a, um, like a criticism. I just, it's like, here's what I was thinking. 
I can only speak like the language I choose has nothing to do with her. The language I choose has everything to do with the experiences I've had, right? So my choice of words is that like when I open a bottle of champagne, I want it to be graceful. Who thinks that? You know, like me, I think that. My, my mom would never think that. So our language can only come from our experience. Our language is derived from our perception of our experience. And so if you're entering into embodiment or somatic practices or just more body awareness, and you are wanting to bring it into your work, it is so important that you attend to the language that you must develop. Like you can't just start having experiences and then start sharing them with people because you can, but it will take time to develop the language that makes sense. You're, you're deriving your language from your experience and your perception. And I, and I want to share another example that I'm so excited about our, our first guest um, who will come on to episode six. Her name is Gina Paluka, and she is a longtime Google rock star. Um, and she most recently has been working in organizational leadership and development. And part of her studies have been in adult development theory and somatic leadership. And she, I was one of her first guinea pigs. So she started doing this somatic coaching work on me. And she's like describing the, the, the grounding, that they do an entry grounding um, experience where you're like in touch with your front body, your back body, your side bodies, and there's all this stuff. And I, I was so uh, pleased to be in that work with her. But what I noticed is she was developing the language for herself. So she was saying the things, but you could tell that they weren't quite landing, right? They weren't quite the right, they weren't nuanced as Anne said. But as I've worked with her in this one specific aspect, not, not training her, but, but receiving from her, the more she is in the work and she's talking about the work that she's doing in herself in terms of body perception, her, her language has become much more sophisticated and, and I understand it much more clearly. So it, it's, I would encourage you to take, like walk around with a little notebook, get one of those tiny notebooks with a pencil in it. And you can, <laughs> I was kind of thinking this as you were talking, Anne, um, you could call it your embodiment journal, right? So when you're having a body experience, just write it down. Like, what are you, what are you experiencing? What are the words that come up? Like, what are the adjectives that you would, that you would use? You might call it a what the fuck journal. <laughs> if you're really, if you're really new to the work, you might just be confused by the signals that your body is giving you, which is really, um, is really common. It's, it's like many of us are just walking around, you know, as Anne said, our brains like kind of separated from our body. So I want to invite you to be patient and also curious about, stepping into this work. Even if you are a teacher of movement, I would challenge you to notice and potentially write down how you are or are not aware of what your body is telling you. It, it's, it is a critical first step and it is not something you can just learn and then teach. You have to experience it. 
and and that's where the language really becomes refined and and then and then and then inviting people into that space with you as Anne is describing in your in your teamwork and developing a culture of how you want the people who are on your team to be in relationship with themselves and the work and each other and i think like one of the ways like if you feel really out of touch with your body um one of the ways that our body likes to tell us that it's there is through pain, right? So that might be like an ache in your back or like your wrists are hurting or your neck is bothering you. I think a lot of times we're like, I'm just going to ignore it. I'll pop some ibuprofen and I'm just going to power through. Right. Um, I know that I have done that in my life, despite the fact that, uh, I have, I've been in the, in the embodiment field for a very long time. Um, but it's like, instead think of like your body working with you, right. Instead mm. of like trying, like, it's not like your body is trying to hold your brain back. <laughs> mm. You know, your body's just trying to be, a, it's trying to be a part of the process. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think like finding ways to, to say, and if, if you're in an experience where you feel like the only signal you're getting from your body is one of pain, how can you find s- signals from your body that are pleasurable or at yes. least neutral? Yes. Right. And so that your body is like your ally <laughs> instead yes. of your, um, you know, always feeling like it's, it's only there to stop your brain from functioning because probably getting up and moving around or going for a short walk or, or jumping, you know, jump, you know, getting up and like go getting a coffee or even if it's just like walking across your kitchen and back or, or, you know, Oh, I'm going to go down and get the mail. Like that many times when that happens, your, when your brain changes context, when your brain changes, you're like taking your brain away and from a very focused task to now a more open task where you're like looking around and opening the doorknob or maybe engaging with a neighbor that can really change what you're doing. And sometimes you have a problem that's stuck, right? And you're like, well, if I just sit here, I'll keep like working on the problem instead of changing the, the context that your brain is in from sitting in a chair to walking away and doing something different and then coming back to sitting in your chair, that change of context of your body can, can change how your brain is thinking. Um, and so sometimes that can really support your problem solving. So mm-hmm. again, it's just how can we use it as an ally and, and as a support system to us instead of something that is um, a body that is to be controlled and that is to be subdued so that we can yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, and is working against us. I mean, there's a lot of talk in our field about befriending your body, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and I think we're just, we're such a big, we're big fans of question asking, as you may have discovered. And I love, you kind of said it and alluded to it. It's like, well, what what is your body telling you? Like, what does it need from you? What does it need to do different, you know, um, differently than what it's doing. Like it's not there to defeat you. (laughs) It is there to give you information, right? So that, so that your body and your life and your whole self is in harmony. 
not and not you know out of alignment out of harmony <laughs> disharmonious <laughs> um okay well that is um one aspect right of bringing in embodiment into leadership and leaders are we're everywhere we're, we're in every realm right we don't have to be educators although i really believe everybody is a teacher i think it's a cute very human quality but let's talk about what we do uh well from the perspective of of teaching and designing education unless there's unless you want to go someplace else i defer no. to you no, no, we're good. I think we're spot on. Yeah. So this is exciting because this is the work we've been deeply steeped in for for our entire careers, right? In some way. And what you're seeing now is just the current iteration of our work. And what I have, I maybe shared this a couple of episodes ago, what I have really landed on for myself, at least for now, is that at the top of the list of what we do, we are educational designers. And, and it's not just curriculum design, it's transformative curriculum. So what does that mean? And how does that, mm, what, are we, what are we shifting for teachers? Because teachers teach, and so there's a, there's a form of curriculum that you're working from, whether you call it programming or planning a session, or if you're building workshops. Um, but we're really talking about something very different than that, mm-hmm. right? That changes the game really completely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that I'm very driven by deep learning and there's like, you can think of like shallow learning or or deep learning. And I think that's partially why I was drawn to, to moving my body and teaching people how to, how to feel and move their bodies is because you can understand something intellectually. And then when you, you do it and, and maybe that's doing something within your body, you're like, Oh, I, I, I feel that you're not only doing it, you're, you're feeling it. Right. And to me, that a lot of times for me, that's that. So, and when you feel it, the next thing is you, you trust it, right? It's mm-hmm. this, it's this very, it's this, it, because it's, it becomes tangible and a sensation within your body. And so I feel like when we talk about transformative curriculum, at least within our industry, a lot of the times the way teachers would learn things particularly like continuing education is there would be a workshop and you, you know, all pre COVID you go to a live workshop because online was very much in its infancy within our industry because touch cues are so valuable and many people were, you know, the equipment and all all those things. Right. So it was a lot of it was very in-person based and then you'd go and you'd learn and you'd be in community and you'd practice and you'd go out for dinner afterwards and there'd be these slides and like this workbook you'd take home and then you'd, you'd get in your flight, you'd, you'd, you'd get on the plane or you'd drive home and then you're like back in your own little studio 
and you're like, what did I just learn? What does all this mean? How do I move forward? How do I apply it? Yeah. Yeah. What do I do? And so I had always kind of created a culture of learning at my studio. So I, I, I many times would just open the manual with a, you know, I can do that with like a new student, <laughs> but with my older students, if you been working with me a long time, like, oh, I just went to this thing. We're going to try this. We're going to open up the manual. Da, 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 da. And it was the act of like immediately starting to implement that where I would, I think that I, I was really able to solidify the knowledge so that I didn't just have a notebook full of notes that I had taken at the course, but I was actually like working on it in the body in front of me. That wasn't a Pilates instructor because the only other time I practiced it was on some other Pilates instructor, right? Or some other embodiment mm -hmm. instructor, which is very different than a person who might have less perception of their own body or uh, other situations going on. And so what drove Chantel and I to really um, begin working together is we said, hey, there's this disconnect with teachers deeply desiring more knowledge you know, wanting to get CECs and many, many different sorts of, of populations, whether it's cancer, uh, you know, scoliosis, scoliosis bone health, mm -hmm. pre-postnatal, uh, neurological um, problems, MS, like all of it, right? But what we know from learning is a one-off experience. I mean, we don't ask our students to, to come into our studio once for, for, for 12 hours <laughs> and then leave and then just go do it on their own. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a continuation process. And so we felt that what was really missing is that how do we take an experience of learning like that and create deep learning? And that's where that curriculum design piece truly comes in is that if you, when you design for deep learning, it's not going to be a one-off experience. <laughs> it's going to be most likely a pinnacle experience. There might be a, a, a in-person portion of it, but how do we enter people into learning? Most of the times we're working with adult learners who are coming in with varying amounts of knowledge you know, you might have a PT who's coming to your, your, your continuing education, and you might have a Pilates teacher who just came out of training, right? And so how do, do we design curriculum that supports people at those two very different levels of knowledge, right? So you don't feel like you have to be everything to everybody. You've already designed your curriculum to do the heavy lifting for you, so that there is something there for a PT and there is something there for a person just out of Pilates uh, teacher training. And so that is where um, we have really ended up is this transformative curriculum design. And we call it transformative because it, it allows you to embody the knowledge that you've learned instead of just um, you know, just kind of learn it at the surface level and then a hope and a prayer, you can take a 60 page, 100 page, 300 page manual and apply it all on your own that you're going to have that much self-motivation to get all the nuances and keep going. Right. And so when you're working with students 
And you're not talking about continuation. You're talking about working with a student to decrease their back pain, or you're working with students. Um, maybe it's even pre postnatal. Maybe you support students with, um, you know, managing pain or supporting them and getting their scoliosis to allowing their spines to be better in better alignment. They have to change movement patterns and behaviors. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where the transformation comes in, which is rooted in Chantel's expertise, which is the nervous system, which is this idea that we deeply need to allow people to, to, to change their behaviors, because even if they're seeing you for four hours a week, four privates a week, that's still there, you know, how, how many hours a week are they not seeing you? <laughs> right. And so we need to find curriculum that, and luckily there's technology today that makes it very easy to support and deliver that, um, where the person is able to really embody that experience, not with you there mm -hmm. so that they can make the changes without your careful eye, or they can only make the change at 10 AM on Thursday when they're on the Cadillac and before <laughs> they've done five other things to warm up their body. Right. Like, that's the start, but how do we get them to be self-sufficient? Yeah. So, I mean, we're basically teaching, uh, teachers how to become transformational educators. I mean, that's, that's a, big, big bulk of what we do. And it's, it's about crafting intentionally a container for deep learning, as Anne said. And most of us, academic educators, uh, yoga teachers, dance teachers, writing teachers, we are taught to teach the form which in my mind and in the language we use is you're training somebody to do something. You're not deeply educating them. And one of the primary differences is that when you're training somebody, they're heavily reliant on you and your knowledge. And, and if you do not explicitly attend to their ability to take ownership of the thing that you're training them to do, the responsibility always lies on you and they will never be intrinsically motivated to step into self-advocacy, self-efficacy, ownership. And one of the problems is that we see is that we as teachers are not providing the space that feels safe for our students to take that responsibility on. And what, yeah, go ahead, Anne. I'm just going to say a lot of times that shows up as don't get hurt. Don't hurt yourself. You can't do this right without me. And mm -hmm. the, it's very like subtle, that type of, it is, it's like really subtle, but it, it, it can be really pervasive in it. And it really, it, it does not allow you as yourself, as a teacher to grow to your fullest potential because your students are not growing to their fullest potential. Yeah, um, it is. It is very subtle. And we don't mm -hmm. we we think we are doing them a favor. We yeah, we think we think we are empowering them. But the truth is, we are not. And let me let me as an example, when you are teaching anything and every time you meet with your student, you are telling them the same like you you are saying, 
get, you know, do this and do this and do this and do this and now do that. You've just told them the same five steps every time, but you're not engaging them. You're not asking them to be responsible for the knowledge. You're not, you're not providing an opportunity for them to try and fail, right? And, and take and, and like be like, oh, this is my experience. Anne said earlier, uh, you know, she was talking about when you have an experience, you begin to trust the experience, right? You're feeling more, you're, then you begin to trust the experience more, and then you're more able to make choices. That's autonomy. That's deep learning, right? That's literally a different function in your brain. Like that takes you from a, a one kind of processing to a different kind of processing. And, and generally, teachers, unfortunately, because we just not taught this, we don't understand it, right? We're keeping our students held hostage to relying on us because we've never given them an opportunity to really trust their own experience, to fail, to try and fail safely. Um, and then we get frustrated because they don't remember the names of the exercises or the names of the strategies. They're not implementing the tools and strategies at home because honestly, they don't have any clue because you've just been doing the heavy lifting for them in the studio or whatever teaching environment that you're in, right? It's like, lie down on the reformer, put your feet on the foot bar, come into Pilates V, find your neutral spine, take it. It's like, stop telling your people how to do the thing you've been teaching them to do for the last six months. If they don't know how to do it, it's your fault. <laughs> in my opinion, it, it, it is at least partially your fault because if you're constantly telling them how to get their ducks in a row, why do they want to get their own ducks in a row? Like you, they're just going to keep relying on you to tell them. So it's this big shift and there's so much cool science and data behind this process that we go through as learners, right? From being trained, from, from mimicking, from we need the feedback. We need to know what to do. We need the, the formula. But at some point, there has to be this shift where the student is able to really start to take ownership in the work that they're learning from you. Otherwise, there is no transformation. There is no behavior change. There is just reliance on you as the teacher, which is very old school, right? It's very empty vessel. That's the way we wrote memory. Um, it yeah. reminds me of that. It's just like, yeah, like very school, very few schools, you know, Probably you need some rote memory and math, but we've evolved beyond that, right? In our teaching, yeah. to project-based learning and to um, you know flipped classroom models. So, um, for those of you with school-age kids, you may be <laughs> you may be used to some of those terms. But um, yeah, it, I love how you really put all that together, um, Chantel. And I would add, like it, it, it really. I think a lot of times too, like we as embodied embodiment practitioners or teachers, like a lot of times we're like, well, that client just can't feel their bodies. And so it's like, sometimes there's this like, well, you know, are we, you know, it's like, we're sort of blaming that the, we're blaming the client that they, that because they can't feel well in a mind body exercise. I feel like part of our job as teachers is also to be able to ask our students, you know, what are you feeling? And, and, mm -hmm. and, and 
going back to our comments on leadership, like, and how many people do not have language about how they're feeling within their bodies and what their bodies are telling them. Because, you know, the, the brain is supreme, right? It's always, you know, what are you thinking, right? Um, and so asking your students to, and, and supporting them. And, and again, like you, you're the leader at that point with the embodiment. So you're sharing what you feel. You don't want to lead the student. Clearly we understand that, but if they don't even have the language mm-hmm. <laughs> to say like, you know, I, oh yeah, it, I guess that's what a muscle feels like when it works. And that's what it feels like when it stretches. Like I've, I have, I'm sure many of you have taught movement in the past. It's really funny. Like you're literally working a client's muscle and they're like, is it stretching? <laughs> like they actually say yeah. the opposite of what it's doing. Um, and yeah, because so they can't identify, they can't yeah. identify the sensation. You know, it's like when somebody says it hurts, it's like, well, you have to get to the bottom of that because I, I know I have had many students, one that I work with right now who says, well, that hurts. And it's like, what I know now is when she says it hurts, she means she's feeling the muscle work. It's not, it, it's just uncomfortable. It's not like pain. So she is becoming able more and more to say, okay, let me, let me find some new language for hurt. Let, let me see if I can come up and so I'm supporting her in discovering what her language is to describe a muscle that's working versus that hurts, which as a younger teacher, I would have been like, okay, let's stop. Mm. You know, cause I, because I'm perceiving her response as, as a, as a indicator of we, we've done something wrong or we're doing something not good. And then we say, we have to be careful and we're going to reduce your activity and yeah. now the person's doing even less. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a real I want, spiral. I, I, know, I know. I know. It really is. And I feel like this work is, I mean, it's huge, right? The, the work, the body of work that we are in and, and sharing. Um, one of the things that we talk a lot about in uh, our 12-week our program is, um, and in motivational science is, and in education, right? Vanessa Rodriguez talks about the teaching brain, how you perceive your students hugely impacts their ability to learn, right? So as Anne was saying earlier, if you perceive your student as not having any body awareness, there's some part of you that's just going to say, I'm never going to be able to make this change in them because they just are not body aware, right? Or if it's like that perception is 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 a limitation and the limitation is you it's on you <laughs> you are limiting yourself and your ability to help this person because you're perceiving them as not being able to be helped in this particular way so how we perceive our students and ourselves is critical to the teaching and learning exchange um, and I, and it just, that's the kind of stuff I really love to share with educators because it makes a big difference, not only in the outcomes that we get, but in the level of fulfillment that we're experiencing, um, as educators. Absolutely. And I think the same is true as leaders. Yeah. yeah. There's just a lot of untapped potential within people 
when, mm. no matter where you're working with them, whether it's on a reformer yes. or you're working on a project, where if you're not asking how their body is feeling around the work or like going back to your very th- thing you started with at the beginning, how do I want my work to feel? Mm. What, if, mm-hmm. what if that was a question you asked your team? Like, instead of yeah. like, I have a boot on my neck because we got a deadline, Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like, you know, I want to feel like we're all working together. I can count on everyone. Like it feels like it's hard, but it's a challenge that can be met. Yes. Okay. Well, what resources do you need so that you can meet that challenge? Right? Yes. Um, Cause feeling, feeling really matters because there can still be the exact same deadline, but if the feeling is, this is a challenge that we can all meet, we can meet this deadline versus there's no support and it's going to be really hard to meet this deadline. I have to burn the midline oil and ignore my family for 10 days or whenever your deadline is, you know, it's like, that's a different, that's going to, that's going to really change your culture. It's going to really, um, you know, not in my opinion, not support, you know, a place where, where people are really happy to be working. <laughs> So right and it and it dampens productivity. I mean, I'm just thinking of like if you're in a team and you're the leader of the team and you're pissed off that your team is not behaving in the way that you want, you have a perception about their the how much they care, the their their you know competence, you have a percept you're like making up all these stories about why they're behaving in in a way and they're making up stories about why you're behaving that way, but nobody because we're like give me the strategy give me the data, but nobody is stopping to say, like even check in and say, like, I don't really feel safe in this environment. I feel whatever. Like if we could just communicate on that level, we would see like, oh, it's not, it's not that you are this. It's actually that you just, you need this. And so that's an easy shift and we can just reframe a thing. And, and, and as Anne said, it doesn't even have to mean that the deadline changes. You just have a different, you, it's like, I think so often in teams and and in leadership, we're just not, we're not literally just not on the same level. We're just like, we're missing each other because I'm, I will always be committed to this expression, which is there are just some things we can't think our way through. Yeah. I love, I love that you say you, that. You have yes. to feel your way through some things. And <sighs> what did you say maybe earlier in the in the, in this, or before when we were chatting about like your brain, your brain lies to you all the time. Like, really, you're going to just, you just blindly trust what your brain is telling you all the time or your mind is telling you like, it just doesn't work that way. Right. You've, you've got to have a checks and balances and, and your body is that. And unfortunately we don't know how to communicate with it deeply. Yeah. It's a lot, and it's a lot of good stuff. We hope, though, that you have um, you're starting to like nod your head and like feel like you understand a little bit more of of what we're what we're about and what we're after and um, what we're excited about. And in our next episode, we will be talking um, with our first guest, Gina Paluka, and. Um, I'm really excited. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to be talking about yet, um, but we have lots of options. 
She's just doing incredible work in um, big, big organizational development and bringing um, somatic leadership and coaching into that space um, and doing so much wonderful personal work. And I'm sure she'll share some of that with us um, in our next episode. All right. Thanks, Anne. Always inspired by you and love these conversations. And we'll see you all uh, next time. All right. Thank you. Well, of course, as always, we hope you loved the episode and you learned a little bit more about us. You are inspired to take action, to keep listening, to be curious, to keep exploring. We know that there is more available to you through the embodied experience and that you can build not only your businesses, but your lives on this emerging into wholeness. Anyway, enough of the lofty talk. Of course, at the end, we always want to remind you to share the love. If you're enjoying the podcast, the absolute best way you can support us is to give us a review. You can do that on iTunes or Spotify. Tell everybody about us and what you love about us and um, just spread the word. We would love that. If you have a person, a subject, a topic, something that's on your mind that you'd love for us to share, you can reach us at chantil at pilatesmastersprogram.com or ann at pilatesmasters.com and you can just shoot us a note and let us know what you're thinking and what's on your mind. We really want to be in conversation and in support of you. And other than that, I'm going to keep this short and sweet tonight and catch you on the flip side, episode six, our first interview, which is going to be epic. Catch you later.